Show. That's my open? That's what they used to call me, Swivel Hit Bradford. That's my open. I'm okay. waiting for you to so justify what? your stupid opinion. Bradford Show. That's delicious. Boom sauce, everybody. Boom sauce. What a week it's been. It's been another great week. Please, please, please go subscribe to the podcast. Leave a nice review for us. I think we deserve it. This is four straight weeks of four podcasts with the this one you're about to listen to punctuating the entire week. And we started off, as we said, early in the week, we basically were the trampoline for the offseason. We launched you into the Red Sox offseason by doing the first ever Red Sox free agent draft, a wild, wild success. Then we went to going to John Lester, pouring one out or buying a boom sauce for John Lester. Patrick Mooney at the Athletic joined us. Always good to break down the Lester scenario. And we had more Cubs the next day. David Ross. David Ross, the best managerial interview of the entire week in the entire country of any podcast. And now and now we finish things off. More free agency. The guys who really kick things off when it comes to the conversation of free agents. I know we started things with the Red Sox. This is nationwide. The guys from MLB Trade Rumors, Tim Dirks, Connor Byrne, Steve Adams. Steve, Steve and Tim join me on this podcast to go through the 2020-2021 top 50 MLB free agents with predictions. And let me just tell you, in case you don't know, this is unbelievable how they do this every year, how on point they are when it comes to the figures, the predictions, where these guys, where these free agents are going to land. I'm always fascinated by it. And fortunately, we have these guys on to not only talk about the process of doing it, but to find out exactly who was the most difficult guys to peg down. And we talk a lot about Jackie Bradley. And then I, boom, at the end, give him the old Mookie Betts question. What would Mookie Betts command if he was a free agent? So it's another good podcast. Thanks to these guys for joining us. And uh, once again, please subscribe. Please leave a nice review. I hope everyone had a great week. And I hope everybody has a great weekend. Here you go. More free agent talk from the experts. All right. It's a time-honored tradition. Uh, by time-honored, I mean we did it last year, Tim. I mean, the, the – the, Top MLB free agents, top 50 for MLB trade rumors, breaking this down, breaking down the process, breaking down everything about it. Because it of all the internet posts in the entire 2020 uh, year, this has to be one of them. This has to be the, one of the best ones. This is the one that everyone is looking forward to. So Steve Adams, Tim Dirks, Connor Byrne isn't here, but he was part of the process as well. Um, yes. Thanks, guys, for coming on. Really appreciate it. Yeah, yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for having us, Rob. Yeah, excited to be here. All right. So, normally, in a normal year, the, first of all, this has to be when you – let's get back down to the brass tacks of the internet. This has to be one of your most read things, right? Is it one of your most read things or is it a passion project? Um, is it one of our most popular things? Yeah. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd say as, as an individual post, it is. Um, it's, it's pretty highly anticipated. That said, um, I don't think its traffic matches up with the amount of work that goes into it. You know, it takes <laughs> us an entire month, and so you can get like a really hot rumor that pops up, and that'll probably be just as much traffic on that one post. So um, maybe it's a loss leader in that way, but um, it's, it's definitely a tradition, and we've kind of fine-tuned our process to where we really do spend an entire month. We, um, Steve, uh, Steve and Connor stopped doing coverage for a couple of weeks. We do these uh, 
intense uh, Slack chats where we grind through every player and talk about their contracts. And then the following week, we have to talk about their team, which is really torture because you have to have all 50 team picks make sense together. So it's, 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 a, it's a labor of love, I guess. Yeah, we like to joke that uh, we just spend, that, it, that we spend an inordinate amount of time trying to put the thing together knowing full well that the immediate reaction from everyone is just going to be, you guys are so stupid. These are the worst predictions I've ever seen. Oh, no, life. but you guys, that's, like, the ama- that's the amazing thing about it, though. All those people are eating crow. Are you kidding me? I've said this to you before, Kim. This is like, it's remarkably accurate. I shouldn't say remarkably. It's accurate um, almost every single year, right right near where it lands. And this, and we're going to get a little bit to how unpredictable this year has been. Uh, along the lines of, Steve, you talked about like people, the feedback from it. How much of the feedback, do you get any feedback from, from agents or executives when this thing is released? Um, I, I'd say, I'd say fairly minimal. I, I think from agents, you'll hear, um, you know, why didn't I get an honorable mention for this, you know, journeyman guy or something like that. I might get that type of comment, but, um, there was a time where we used to run all of the picks by, um, some team executives. And then, um, that was probably a few years ago. And I, I kind of started to feel there was too many cooks in the kitchen and while they could certainly give valid feedback we, we felt like it was roughly equal to the uh speculation we were drumming up so um kind of stopped doing that so I, I would say i don't i don't hear a ton from people in the industry about it um what do you think steve uh, i mean a little bit here and there um you know, you, you, like you said, you'll get a gripe about here and there, like about, oh, why wasn't my guy, you know, you didn't even mention him. He's not one of the 50 best. Like, that's crazy. Or kind of, especially like every year at the winter meetings, we might hear like some jabs from like, oh, you really think that's all my guy's going to get, huh? Like, and they, and we kind of hear like, oh, this will, uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to, to proving you wrong kind of thing. Yeah. So we get uh, a little bit of that, but yeah, like Tim said, we used to kind of try to vet um, some more of these uh, through team folks and, and kind of seek out some some player reps and stuff uh, beforehand to kind of try to pick their brains. But I mean, it takes one, you know, one person saying something puts this idea in your head and makes you maybe doubt like a, a, a prediction or a, a feeling that you've had for a while. And maybe one, you know, executive with a club doesn't think somebody is worth so-and-so, but I mean, there's still 29 other ones out there. So um, we try, I think just kind of realize we don't want, one opinion necessarily to dissuade us from our own, you know, gut reads on, on some of this. So it can be helpful, but it, it, it's also been to our detriment in the past as well. Yeah. And the second guessing is, is probably the most painful part is that mm-hmm. we'll have this thing ready. And then one of the three of us will be like, well, I just don't buy that guy on that team. And then we'll have to like move him. And then as a chain reaction, we have to move three other guys. And so there's always a certain point where I'm like, Guys, speak now or forever hold your peace. We have to publish this thing. We've been talking about it so much. And then right after, there's always a couple where you're like, well, you know, I wish I could have that one back or I might tweak that if I could go back. But, you know, once it's out there, then we can kind of, in a sense, just move on from it, um, let people have fun with it. Um, but, you know, I, I think one thing our readers sometimes need a reminder of, particularly with the uh, the team picks, is that, those are kind of for fun. 
Um, and it's, they're more representative rather than saying that the Phillies are going to get this one reliever. We're saying they're going to get a good reliever. So um, people kind of get married to the idea, oh, this team's going to get player A, B, and C. And we're like, well, these are just ideas we think make sense. And that's kind of how we look at it. Yeah, I mean, I know yeah. that, for instance, you know, when a Jackie Bradley's prediction comes out around here, everyone jumps on like they're saying that Jackie Bradley is going to the Astros, which by the <laughs> way, I, I, I think you're on the money in that case. I because I had heard the same thing, but before we get into the individual stuff, it, the, the task of doing this, you talk about getting on the Slack channel and being a months and months long process. The task of doing it this year just seems so impossible. And I don't know when you guys were going through it, if you felt that way because of just the wildly uncertain nature of the economics of this, um, how did it, how did it feel? And was there a point where like, you know, we just don't know, or did you just go into it and say, listen, we're going to have to just go in this with one frame of mind. This is how the economics are going to be. And that's how we're going to approach it and not leave any room for interpretation. I'd say it kind of seesawed throughout the month. So, my first blush at it, I, I felt like I threw out a bunch of numbers off the top of my head and they were fairly depressed for a lot of the players, just, you know, given the situation we're in. And then one by one, once the three of us started picking those apart, um, we kind of talked ourselves up on like almost all the top 20 guys. And so maybe LeMahieu started down here and we're like, well, you know, we started to really think, okay, this is a really high quality player. We would inch our way back up for the Josh Donaldson contract. And then toward the very end, and it's always hard to try to read the tea leaves based on what little information you have around November 1st. But um, I would say, and I, and I saw this too on some of the other uh, outlets that had top free agent lists. They, they did something similar. I think we all kind of went to panic mode when um, when nobody wanted Brad Hand. Yes. So at the very least, we kind of looked at all of our relievers and we're like, well, if if nobody wants him for one year and ten million, then how do they want Trevor May for three years and twenty four? So we just started slashing those guys, and then uh, I kind of like relatively impulsively, you know, slashed some other guys as well just to. Guys just felt a little high. And so, you know, there was a point maybe a few weeks ago where our projections looked a little too normal, too much of a normal offseason. We're like, this pain has to come from somewhere for these players. And so I think we got ourselves back down with the safe team. Yeah, it seems like this, the basically every year, uh, Tim kind of sends like, here's my initial pass through it. And I almost feel like I'm playing the agent for like certain players because Tim just like comes in like all these guys suck and none of them are getting paid. They're terrible. And I'm like, wait, hold on. Like, <laughs> no, we need to like come up on this player and like really look at, um, you know, here's, and I, so I, I find myself making cases and it's kind of fun. He and I, um, we like to make a lot of like side prop bets uh, for uh, like you know, player like contracts it. and stuff. Like Tim it. still yeah. owes me a, a Travis Darno uh, Dodgers jersey. That's going to go on the, the office wall somewhere. Um, but, uh, um, there was definitely some of that this year, but I don't feel like we actively were trying to push players. Or like, you know, you get into a habit of you almost want to say like, okay, well, what's the, the best case scenario for this guy? And I think the best case scenario for a lot of guys this year just felt a little more flat because it's just – this would feel aggressive in a normal off season. And now we're saying 
at the same time that, you know, Hand is is going unclaimed on waivers and the Braves are buying out a $3 million option on Darren O'Day and, and things like that. Um, we're like, are we really confident that, you know, so-and-so like Tim said, that this guy's going to get $18 million over two years when he's had, you know, a half of a good season. And, and yeah, it's, it, it was definitely a, a tougher exercise this year than normal, I think. All right. So going to the list of this year, um, I mean, there's a lot to pick through. Give me each of you, and I'll start with Tim. Give me the toughest for you, the toughest decision, the toughest guy to, to gauge. Um, let me think. Um, maybe, let's see. We had a, we, we went all over the map on uh, Kevin Gosman. Um, mm-hmm. We had a lot of variants on LeMayhew. We had a lot of variants on Ozuna. Um, so those are three where I feel like, you know, we probably swung those a good 20, 30 million in, in different directions as we started, as we debated. I think we had Gosman up at four years and 60 million at one point. We really thought he was kind of going to be the buzz guy, but then he got the qualifying offer and we thought he could either take it or kind of do a deal with the Giants that wouldn't be quite as aggressive as that. Um, and Ozuna was a really tough one. You know, he had such a good year. And you want to give him some money because there's not a lot of bats like that, but you kind of have to put him in left field. And you'd like to have a DH available. And, and of course, with uh, that not currently in place for the National League, it really chops down your market. So, you know, you need to, you know, find a team that you think maybe could tolerate him in left field for a year. So Ozuna was a guy that was pretty tough as well. What do you think, Steve? I mean, I think we probably did the most deliberation just on Bauer, just because he's such a, I mean, he's said for years, I'm only, I'm, I'm only taking one year deals. I'm doing a full mercenary. I'm the max out my, you know, um, my career earnings by going year to year. And then, you know, I guess maybe not predictably, but like right before free agency comes out, he kind of walks it back and it's like, actually, like if somebody <laughs> wants to give me, you know, five years, I'm, 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 I'm open to it. Um, so there were so many scenarios and he had such a historically good year, but in a short season. And then he had the the down year in, in 19, great year in 18. And so it's kind of like, is this guy going to be seen as, as a true number one based on 11 starts in this crazy, you know, like pandemic shortened season? Um, or is, is he going to want to go one year because he thinks the four-year offers aren't enough and he really wants to max out and set an all try to set an all-time record on you know average annual value even if it's on a one-year deal um he was a very difficult one to read I think we probably struggled um I don't know toward the end we definitely went back and forth a little bit on, on Marcus Simeon too um just because you know his his regular season numbers didn't look that great he hit crazy well in the postseason and I, I normally we don't really look at postseason numbers that much because over a six, 700 plate appearance sample. A guy's playoff numbers don't really impact his overall body of work on the year that much. But this year, that's like 15% of the plate appearances he had, even though it's only eight games. And it boosts his numbers to like look pretty respectable. And then you have this guy who's an above average shortstop who probably is never going to be as good as he was in 19, but probably better than his end of season, you know, end of regular season numbers look. Um, and then the whole looming free agent class next offseason, at least for me, with it's like, do you want to take a one-year deal and then go back into free agency with Javier Baez, Francisco Lindor, Carlos Correa, Trevor Story? I'm forgetting one because there's so many shortstops next year. Uh, he was he was definitely uh, a tough one to kind of figure um, 
what do we want to say that this guy's going to do? Because you could totally see him saying, I, multi-year offers aren't good enough. Last year I was hoping for $100 million, and now I'm getting, you know, three years and $42 million offered or something. Or you can see him, you know, saying, like, I'm going to take the guaranteed money right now because I want no part of next year's shortstop class. And, yeah, there's just a lot of financial uncertainty right yeah, now. Yeah, I mean, so. that's, that's an interesting part of the piece of the equation because – I think a lot of people think, oh, well, guys will take one-year deals hoping to get the economics back in baseball. But you're right. I mean, the shortstops, like, why would you want to be going up against that class? Maybe it's different for pitchers. And there's, like, a ton of pitchers. And you look at the end of your guys' list, I mean, one-year deal, one-year deal, one-year deal. Mm -hmm. um, and rightfully so. I mean, this is – there's going to be a lot of pitchers, I think, on one – on very, very short deals here. There's not going to be a whole lot of Joe Kelly three-year – reliever contracts <laughs> yeah no and I think that's a function too of the fact that a lot of especially in the starting pitching class like so many of the guys either got injured or had down years um and so it's it's in addition to the fact that there's not going to be as much money thrown around you have all these guys who are you know Mike Miner, Corey Kluber uh Rick Porcello I'm there's so many just yeah well Lester and, 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 well. And, and you talked about Brad Hand and and another one that was around here anyway was like okay this is a wake-up call it was Martin Perez like just over mm -hmm. six million dollars for a guy who seemingly for a pitching staff that had a lot of question marks was one of the maybe not a huge question mark six million dollars was Julian Tavares back a few years ago yeah <laughs> Yeah, so, I, I think for these players who are who are somewhat fungible, you know, the the fourth starter or the seventh inning reliever, um, those are the guys who maybe did okay still in the regular market, um, and those are the guys who I think especially will just get killed in this market and will get a couple million bucks, and teams will say, you know, I'll make this three million dollar offer to these five different guys and see which one takes it, you know. You have to think too that some players will pounce on what looks like a bad deal um, to not kind of get really hung out to dry. You know, somebody was asking me if I thought that any of the people on our list would get a minor league deal, and I said, "Yeah, I do think." I couldn't tell you who, but I think some of the guys at the bottom will. Um, you know, and that's kind of the worst case scenario for those players. All right, so yeah, oh, go ahead, Steve. Oh, I was just gonna say I think it's gonna be tough. Uh, for second baseman as well. And we kind of ran into that. Um, you've seen a lot of in the past few off seasons, some pretty good players have gotten non-tendered and it's kind of led to this like cycle of guys kind of habitually signing one-year deals. You've got Jonathan Scope and, and Cesar Hernandez are like that. And now you kind of add Tommy LaStella in there. You add Colton Long in there. And suddenly you just have, you know, five or six or seven, like pretty good, but really second base only guys. Um, all of whom have like maybe like one, you know, really good trade about them, like scopes, power, wongs, defense, et cetera. But none of them have that like standout tool that kind of like makes them the guy to go get necessarily, I don't think. And so you're going to have probably a lot of really comparable offers for those people. And they're going to end up probably a lot of them taking one year deals, if not all of them. And then that just puts them back out on the market next year and, and continually continues to flood that position and that skill set and, and really drive down the, the price of that. Like, I mean, we saw it last year with Hernandez and I, I think it'll probably just kind of continue to perpetuate. Well, speaking of that position, you know, one that jumped out was DJ LeMahieu. And I think you guys have him go in the Blue Jays, correct? And um, uh, yeah. yeah, so like that, that opens up the conversation about, like you said, you guys said, 
that the team aspect of this list is secondary. And like, I get that. Like you guys, it's the team is the hardest thing, but the numbers you got, it's so remarkably on point. It always has been. In this case with the Blue Jays, it opens up the conversation about, wait a second, the Blue Jays, they spent for the pitcher last year. Now you're saying they're going to spend for the second baseman this year and figuring out which teams are actually going to spend. Like for instance, with the Red Sox guys, like we, we're sitting here and they have all this smoky money and they got below the luxury tax and like, yippee, yeah, everyone, they got money to spend this year. It's not going to be like last year. But at the same time, no fans as of right now, we don't know. I mean, we don't know. And we can say Phillies with Middleton saying we're going to go for it or have they changed? Figuring out which teams are going to spend be spending is another part of the equation, I would imagine. Yeah, it's a short list of teams that look like they are interested in spending. And so I think with the Red Sox, you know, it's, it's clear that they have some money to work with, but our general assessment was that they're not quite ready to compete fully. So they might kind of um, make, some, make some moves to get better, uh, certainly, but not necessarily play at the top end of the market. Um, Steve has said, you know, he doesn't really think Bloom was, was brought in to, to go sign George Springer, uh, you know, right after trading Mookie. And, and I kind of agree with that. And so the number of teams that actually are telegraphing that they will spend money, um, aside from the Blue Jays kind of saying some things like that, that they could, um, be the Mets. You know, I, I could tell from our chats with our readers that people think the Mets are going to go absolutely nuts and sign like <laughs> five of the top 10 guys. And, you know, Possibly they could. Um, I mean, in terms of the team that's really opening up the checkbook, they're the, they're the ones. What, yeah, what do you think, Steve? I think, I, oh, I think to Tim's point, and he kind of hit on this a little bit, but, I mean, the Red Sox do have some money to spend, like you said, um, and you can see a scenario where enough things go right that they are right back in the mix. I mean, but it, it's, you know, you get Chris Sale back, Eduardo Rodriguez comes back strong, Nathan Evaldi's healthy, uh, Benintendi bounces back. Uh, J.D. Martinez bounces back, but suddenly you're kind of like piling up all these things that need to break right at a time where you know the Rays. I mean, they just came within two games of a World Series. They're going to be great again. The Yankees are getting Severino back next year, and they did what they did this year, mostly without Judge and Stanton. The Blue Jays have this awesome young core, um, and they're, like we said, like one of the only teams that's kind of projected, hey, we have this money to work with. It's kind of tough for me to see the Red Sox look at the roster as is and thinking that everything can break just right and that you know they're going to be right back up in there and I, I do kind of just think there's something to the notion of you don't fire Dave Dombrowski and hire this Rays executive who's known for finding value in the margins and kind of like creative payroll manipulation and then bring him in to come in and act like Dave Dombrowski like if you wanted to go sign George Springer and, and you know make the big flashy moves like Dave would, I feel like would still be in charge there maybe that's maybe that's an, an improper read from the outside and, and you would know better but like it, it just feels like they're maybe a year away from really kind of getting back to the the more Red Sox brand um, that we kind of tend to associate with that name and, and I, I can't help but kind of look at the way that the Dodgers marry that big payroll high dollar club but also um, still really operating on the margins and, and kind of feel like that's what the Red Sox are trying to emulate. Hey, Tim, it's like, you know, when Dabrowski was, was around for those years, 
it must have been like when you're doing this list, you must every time a Trevor Bauer, a George Springer, or along those lines, you must have been like, oh, let's, let's put the Red Sox in the conversation, right? Yeah, the guy who's always going to take the big swing at the big name, who um, will kind of go for that capital C closer in the bullpen, just do those old school type of things. You know, really, uh, just from the pure hot stove entertainment standpoint of it, I do miss those guys. Um, Kenny Williams, too. like some of those guys were just really, fun. and they would just, uh, Kevin Powers, and, you know, they, they would just uh, kind of go for it in that old school way. And uh, the, the thing that, the, the way that executives are now, like probably 25 out of 30 is not nearly as, as fun and kind of wild west. So, you know, what are you going to do? All right, so let me ask you guys, because we're going to localize a little bit, and the only person really we can localize it, because Martin Perez just doesn't have a lot of juice right now around here, and, and some of the other guys is Jackie Bradley. Jackie Bradley is the guy, um, the free agent. Like It, it was weird also when we went into an offseason, and there was really no conversations about, are they going to offer a qualifying offer to that guy? Because we never really thought that was going to be the case with Jackie. Um, and I remember not too long ago, I think it was, yeah, after 2013, I mean, literally they had, I think, four guys. They might have had five, and they didn't offer Saltalamachia one because they just didn't want to offer another one. And they, here they are, they didn't really have any. So, um, but when you guys are talking about Jackie, he's also a tricky one, right? He's a tricky one to, to sort of lock in because even before this year, he was sort of a unique guy. Um, a lot of teams wanted him. The Red Sox held on to him. And then you get to this year where he has like almost the typical Jackie Bradley year in a two-month season, which is a bad first month and a really, really good second month. And fortunately for Jackie, like he ends up going in the, in the free agency with that good second month. How did you guys view him? Um, I, I kind of see him as – um, a high floor player, you know, with, with the defense. And also we've talked about beyond Springer, who isn't even a true center fielder anyway. Um, there's really not a starting center fielder elsewhere on the market. So, you know, if that's what you're honed in on, you're really going to like Bradley. Um, that said, he did put in like a full three-year stretch of, you know, being a, a below average, um, below league average type of hitter. So we would probably say that is how he is expected to hit more so than what he did in this year. So I, I think he's a good player. I think, you know, you could definitely come up with a half dozen teams that would, would be interested, but I also think that there's kind of a, just a limit to what he can earn. And maybe in a different off season, I can see kind of a three-year deal or something a little bit bigger, but, you know, we were fairly conservative with him, I'd say, on our list. What do you think, Steve? Yeah, I think he's, uh, you, you kind of put it similarly how I would characterize it when you say that he's he's a high floor guy he's kind of um in that Colton Wong kind of vein where it's like this guy's going to come in here and he is going to play world-class defense and in a good year you're going to get anywhere from like average to somewhat above average uh offense but there is the like looming possibility that he's also just going to be a below average hitter and you have to live with that that doesn't make him a bad player but it, it kind of puts a cap on I think what uh what he can earn and also what teams are going to look at him because you need to have a true center field opening. I don't think as many teams are going to say, Oh, we want to get this guy and put him in left field or we're okay with him in right field because the, the real selling point on his value, at least for me is that he can just like play the hell out of center field and he can, you know, 
from a wins above re replacement perspective, like you can feel good about just like penciling him in for, for two at least, knowing that he's just going to be probably a gold glove finalist. Um, and that's a, that's, that's a nice thing to have, and it, it doesn't come around often in free agency, but without the bat there, it's tough to, to place yeah. him too high. Well, it's, it's, once again, it's bizarre. This, everyone knew that this, this two-month season, it was going to be hard to gauge. But I think you guys touched on it earlier about the postseason. And this is – normally, you said, normally you don't judge a lot of postseason. But what's bizarre is that actually the dumb executives do. Like in some cases, and I don't want to say dumb. That's that's being cruel. But I've we've seen it too many times. We've saw it too many times where guys can make a crap load of money off of two and a half weeks. And there's a couple of guys. Nope. Got to be the the. Nivaldi is the poster boy for that. Yes. Right. <laughs> I remember debating about Daniel Murphy. I think it was 2015 where he absolutely went off. Yep. In the postseason, I think um, I think we ended up high on his contract. I think uh, teams showed a little bit of restraint on him relative to him hitting like ten home runs in the postseason or whatever he did. Well, you you would agree with me, and and you I think we're all on board with this. Is that this shouldn't happen, but it does. And whether it's not like ownership gets involved or not, um, and I I know that you know let's take Evaldi's case, and really that same year Joe Kelly, it was, you know. Those guys, if you said in the middle of September, middle of September that year, 2018, what they were going to get, it would literally have been half of what they got, half. And because they go on this run, and I know like for in, in, in both cases, I think, they, what teams did, both teams did, the Dodgers and the Red Sox, they said, we see what you did here, and we saw the adjustment that you made there, and we saw how it translated on the big stage, and now we think it's going to take off. And it's – which I guess is a little bit better because now you have the, the analytics and you have the numbers and you have the technology to sort of back a lot of this up. And it's not like that we're going to buy a bunch of uh, panda hats for Pablo Sandoval because he made the final out of the, the World Series. And he's going to be good for marketing. At least you have that. But it is such a bizarre dynamic. And, and this year, um, it was really, I mean, basically, it wasn't really the postseason. It was a two, uh, two, two and a half, three-month season that we're judging on. Think about it. Two, a two-month season. Two months. Some of these guys, how many times have we seen Tim Beckham would have made like a 10-year, ten $300 million deal? Yeah, he was May 1st that year. Right. I, I think that one thing that makes it pretty hard to project players is that um is that we can't dismiss uh some guy like who's been average or bad becoming awesome because it does happen and it does happen for you know legitimate reasons. And you know, one of the earlier examples was Jose Bautista, where it's like I think the Blue Jays gave him that extension after after he'd shown well, but maybe didn't have enough evidence that he was really this fifty home run bat. Um but he was. And so, um, you know, you'll, you'll see these guys like change their swing and change their pitch mix and stuff like that. And, and then they are what they, what they were for a month, you know, so you, you look at Gosman and that, that was a guy who um, was non-tendered a year prior. And now we're saying, you know, he's one of the better starters on the market and just because he changed, you know, his, his pitch selection, I guess, and had good results for 10 starts and, you're still making a bet about whether to buy into that, and it's still pretty subjective, I think. 
Yeah, and we, I think we saw some of that. We have recent examples of teams being willing to pay for that. I mean, what did Drew Pomeranz have? Like four or five yeah. bullpen appearances before yeah. the Giants it, like it, jumped and traded like a, a, like a, or sorry, the Brewers traded a, a legitimate, like Mauricio Dubon, a former, you know, Red Sox prospect, really good, you know, looking young player for to rent Pomeranz for the rest of the season. And then we get to the off season and the Padres throw $34 million at him. That you would have sounded insane if you were saying that even, you know, into, into August and September that year, but he was just so good for them. And so there is some of that when we're trying to evaluate players this year. And I, I feel like we, we kind of brought up Pomeranz several times throughout the process. Like, well, I don't know, is somebody really going to pay for like, XYZ and that's like well I mean Drew Pomeranz is going to make eight and a half million dollars next year so it does it does happen um but it can I don't know it's it's also tough in the opposite direction but you brought up Jackie Bradley's season trajectory and he by you look at end of August you know he was hitting really poorly and then he has 80 or 90 great plate appearances and suddenly it's like okay well we're gonna we're saying that he's gonna get paid more because he had the equivalent of like a three-week hot streak that boosted his season line to look really good but well, you finding that balance was tough. you know you pointed out that Profar maybe had a good month and it brought his yeah. numbers up to actually look pretty good overall and if you just look at those 200 odd plate appearances yeah you know pretty good year but like he was actually only good for four weeks it's like well how do we what how do we read into that I think that stuff like stat cast and I assume that the teams all have like even better, you know, versions of that, that they're able to look at, particularly probably for a pitcher, they're able to look at some pretty small samples of data and maybe make an assessment about whether that will last. Yeah, and, and there, listen, like, you're right. I mean, this is, there's been a lot of examples of where it actually has worked out. I'll give you another one. Rich Hill had four um, good yeah. starts for the Red Sox, and then he gets, uh, it wasn't a huge deal, but it was a one, I think it was one year, $6 million deal with that Oakland. was a very smart contract. Yeah, you know? and yeah, I mean, yeah, and, great contract. Yeah, and so that's an example of it working. All right, we have a few minutes left because the Bradford Show can't afford the upgrade on Zoom. Um, but uh, I'm going to put you guys on the spot for the last question. Tim, you can uh -oh. go first. Mookie bets at free agency. What's the number and what's the team? Um. Wow, that's tough. Um, so what, what did he ultimately get? What was the uh, – 12 years, 365? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I think that – I think he'd probably get less than that. Um, I think I'd put him – I think I'd put him closer to 300. I would. I just think um, – I, I think teams are so gun-shy of committing large amounts of money, and, and I know that it did happen, but – um, I, I don't think it would, would have happened again. What do you think, Steve? I don't know. I might put him right where he landed because, I mean, the Dodgers Dodgers said knowing full well – or like, the Dodgers said that they were going to pay him, you know, this money. They paid it to him. And then you look at the postseason he had, and uh, we were just talking about how those, you know, October heroics can, can play into this. How do you look at that fan base and, and say, you know, like, oh, we're going to – do anything other than go all out to get this guy. I feel like, you know, his agents would have been in a great spot. And if they were able to get that money for him, you know, prior to the season, then I, I, I don't see why after the season that he had, he wouldn't have at least that there, I guess. I know it's, it, it's what, crazy what to predict. Month, what month does that contract come in? 
You guys that, know? That was, I want to say it was June. Okay. Yeah, it was, it was after, it was after we knew, like, this isn't going to be a, um, a normal season. So it's not oh, like he got it on. No, this was, this was one of the reasons he did it. I mean, let's be honest. Is that, yeah. you know, he said it, for the, he's always said, this is the business, this is the business, the business. And, and in his mind, the business was taking this, this deal. And I think for him, it worked out twofold. It worked out because he still got a really good deal. He didn't get the 400 million, but he got a really good deal. And he landed in a perfect spot for him in Los Angeles. Yeah. I don't. I can, I could see maybe after that postseason and the Mets with Steve Cohen coming in, like some pressure to like really have the Mets go after him and, and maybe drive that price up a little bit. But I don't. I mean, it's it's so hard to see to to say with any to say four hundred million dollars in this climate is just just feels like nah. cartoonish. Uncertainty for teams has just continued going up. I'm not sure if I'd say it's gone up since June. I mean, but you know, we were talking in March and we were kind of speculating about whether there might be fans in the stands in 2021. And I, I feel like at that point, a lot of people thought that there probably would be fans, like even fully be fans. And we were like, ah, I don't know, man. I'm not an expert on vaccines, but, um, you know, for this to be fully distributed and liability and everything. And so, I don't know. I feel like uh, teams are probably more bleak than they were a few months ago. And, um, and uh, I feel that free agency is the, the one lever they can pull. These, these are not players they already have under contract. This is new money that they can choose to give out or not give out. So, you know, I feel like 25 of the teams would be like, yeah, nope. Yeah. Not gonna, well, very small market. Well, I, I did a quick post. We had Dayton Moore on the podcast. I thought he was awesome. I'm like, I think very highly of him. And he, you know, you go back to his time to the Braves. The Braves were legendary in terms of identifying right guys and trades and so forth and so on and he said he's like listen the trade market is going to be you think the free agent market is going to be bizarre and unpredictable the trade market is as well because we had no way of uh, evaluating our own guys like we wanted to over the course of a season minor leagues and we didn't have a good way of valuing the guys we want so but that's another podcast i don't want time to run out on you guys um Guys, thanks so much. Uh, everyone go to MLB Trade Rumors. Uh, we'll keep pushing it out there. Not that you need it, but it's it's really is the, the launching pad for the offseason. Um, you guys are awesome. You guys are awesome. Really fun. Thanks for having us. Yeah, yeah listen, thanks so much. Time. Appreciate we'll, the kind words. We'll, re we'll reconvene if that's okay. We'll reconvene. Because yeah, no, there's, no, there's, no, there's no winter meetings. I'm not going to see you guys at the winter know, meetings. We'll reconvene. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> One time we poke our heads. Heads out. <laughs> yeah. All right. All right, guys. I'll see you. Thank you. Thanks so much, Rob.